Submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society. Oh, joy! Let's rock! It makes me wanna fart! Dear Journal, it's me, Doug. Do you have a... Baby's gotta do what a baby's gotta do. On your mark, get set. Oh, here it goes! Welcome, all you slimesters, to Splat Attack, where we taking it back to the slime-filled past. I am your co-host, Brett Michael Wilson, and I am your second co-host, Alex Dance. All right, so, Mr. Brett, what exactly will we be talking about today? I'm glad you asked, Mr. Alex. <laughs> uh, we'll be we'll be talking about Nicktoons today because as Many of you may know, it is the 30th anniversary of Nicktoons when it first started on August 11th, 1991. Can anyone guess what three shows launched the Nicktoons uh, series? Ooh, Hermione, Hermione. Okay, so the, yes, Alex. the gag there is we've, my wife and I, we play the Harry Potter Sorcerer's Stone board game a lot, and one of the cards is you get a Hermione card, so if somebody else gets a question, you raise the card and go, Hermione, and when you know the answer. I do that all the time now, even for people I who see. don't get the reference. But, okay. more, so, a, a, a bit more to the, the Nicktoons, can you also name some of the other pilots that were pitched? Like beyond Nicktoons? Yeah. No, they were they were pitched for the Nicktoons. So uh, there there were eight Nicktoons pitched total, and only three of them obviously were picked. Do you know oh the my others? Goodness. I was not prepared for this. <laughs> I'm just used to the ones that everyone talks about, not the not the lesser known ones. But then again, I mean that's why we're doing a podcast that's like covering all the corners of Nickelodeon that no one else dares go. What are the main three, Brett? Uh, it would be in this order, Doug, Rugrats, and Ren and Stimpy. Yes. And they all aired on Sunday um, of that August 11th day, mm-hmm. uh, starting at 10 and lasting at 11. Then I think Salute Your Shorts was after that. But yeah, that, that was like the first block of Nicktoons, and it was pretty much their original programming for animation on Nickelodeon because before then they just had syndicated shows that they imported from other countries such as Maya the Bee, Danger Mouse, Count Ducula, uh, Mysterious Cities of Gold, uh, a couple of I think Japanese ones? I know David the Gnome was there too. Yeah there was a Spartacus and the the Land Beneath the Sea or the Sun Beneath the Sea and uh, they also had the, the Little Prince, uh, the, mm-hmm. the world of David the that Gnome. That one I remember. The world of David the Gnome. Uh, the Littles. Doctor Snuggles. Was Banana Man one? That's Banana Man was one. Yeah, reason. yeah, mm-hmm. that was one of them too. Uh, up to that time, just previously before they had the the main three Nicktoons, they just did a whole bunch of resyndicated shows, and um, going through. And, and learning about the, the history of the Nicktoons and, and how it originated, because I thought this, is, this was interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. Their first foray into car- animation, which I, I believe you are aware of this too, was, was Pinwheel. Yep. But they didn't do a whole lot. That, that wasn't their main focus for it. Now, it, it kind of felt like a poor man's Sesame Street to me, if I'm being honest. It, it did. <laughs> it really, really did. Uh, now, also, they, they did another experiment, because that's what Nickelodeon did in the late 80s and early 90s, oh, yeah. a lot of experimentation. They did what they called a video comic book. Mm. And Sounds space age. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it was called First Row... No, no, no. First Row Futures was on special delivery. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was it was called Video Comic Book. And, but it wasn't just animation. It had animation in it, but it was like overlapped on top of claymation and live action. And usually it was very close explains it all, where they would have thought bubbles that would come out. And, Interesting. And that was the animation part. But um, Looney Tunes at the time, this was something that I also thought was interesting, was the the fact that Nickelodeon was on the verge of buying 
the Hanna Barbera rights, but just period, wow. uh, because they had the oh darn it, um, um, most wanted Yogi Bear because that was mm-hmm. on there. But they were about to buy all the others, and they also had the rights to play Looney Tunes, which they had done for a long time. And mm-hmm. at at that time, nobody was playing Looney Tunes. Nobody wanted it, and Nickelodeon. That seems unheard of to me. It, it, I mean, it I really is. <laughs> uh, and they weren't making serials anymore, and Chuck Jones and other animators were just doing animated specials now. They Looney Tunes wasn't on TV, so Nickelodeon mm-hmm. kind of, well, there's no kind of, they did put Looney Tunes back on the map, especially with the really, really clever advertising, and when the time lapsed, and it was time to uh, renew the contract... Looney Tunes had become so popular that they increased their cost by uh, three times as much. So they said back. So they said back in the late '80s, initially they paid three million dollars, and then when it got so popular, they jacked it up to nine million dollars. And, uh, and I guess that's just a matter of supply and demand. Like, yeah, wow, pe- kids are still into this. All right, we're you're gonna pay top dollar for it now. And, um, you know, rightfully so. It's just, I, I, I remember that's how I got my first fix of Looney Tunes growing up is because they showed it all the time, like, in between the original shows. Yes. Like, around, like, 4 p.m.-ish uh, on Nickelodeon. And, you know, because my mother used to watch a lot growing up, that's kind of how we bonded over the cartoons mm-hmm. and the channels, you know, bringing a little bit of the old with a little bit of new together. And it, it amazes me how our minds work, how our brains can re- remember tiny little details. Uh, because I remembered the Looney Tunes classical music uh, mm-hmm. commercial. Looney Tunes, you'll find them all on Nick. I remembered that whole thing. Looney Tunes, you'll find them all on Nick. Lots of stuff, enough to make you sick. And they also did one that was a rap. And <laughs> of course they did because it was the early nineties yeah. and white people were trying to be cool. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that one, that one stuck with me because it started with, really? started with Speedy Gonzalez Unos, Dos, Tres. And then they did the, the, the little wow. DJ scratch. And they just kept going. What, 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 what? It was terrible. But that huh. whole commercial stuck with me. And a few years ago... It sounds vaguely familiar. Uno, dos, tres. I started going back and finding all the old commercials and stuff. I I found it, and it is exactly how I remembered it. Because you know how sometimes you can, I rem- I remember it exactly this way, and then you go back and watch it. Right. Okay. It's just sometimes a, memory can be faulty. It's it's a little different in this but case. Yeah. It was it was spot on. That one has never left me. But uh, they knew the the Nickelodeon. They knew that. If they continued, when it came time to renew the license again, they would jack it up again. So they were starting to already delve into doing animation. And they were, one, doing the 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 different spots. The, not the spots, the, uh, the bumpers and IDs. Mm-hmm. The first real special they did was Tattertown. And that one was the idea of where do toys go when you don't want them anymore. 
I mean, if you watch Toy Story 3, you would just think they'd be an incinerator in a trash compactor in a, in a burning world of melted plastic. But, you know, you know, this was the late 80s. They had more cheerful ideas in mind. <laughs> well, no, not this particular one, because this one... Oh, really? You, they had a really clever idea, but they got the guy who directed, at the time, Fritz the Cat... To direct uh, this, and then later went Ralph on. Bakshi. <laughs> yes, and then and for those who don't know, also went on to direct Cool World. Yeah, he was the one who directed this special, and it wasn't a Nick original. I think they did this in contract with another license just to maintain the mm-hmm. license. So the first real special they did that was completely Nick original was the Thanksgiving feast. I remember that because it had the same like art and animation style as the some of the Nick bumpers that they did previously, like with the three doo-wop brontosauruses with the yep. neckties and like the one with the jungle animals. So um, that's that's pretty cool that they, they um, shifted over from the bumpers to the special like that. And honestly, I wish, you know, I forgot the artist's name off the top of my head, but I wish he did like more shows because something about his like flat pop art just is really appealing and really fits the the lively brand image of Nickelodeon at the time. So y- there there is a little more to it, uh, w- right okay. right in line with what you were saying, uh, because Vanessa Coffey she was kind of she headed up that department uh, and really headed up the the Thanksgiving feast, but later she had pitched doing the Nicktoons and wait pitched or. The other word. <laughs> pitched. Okay. Pitched. Gotcha. Pitched Nicktoons. Uh, I, I purposely did not say it because I'm trying to keep this family friendly for all you yes. listeners. And I, ironically, nobody wanted to call it Nicktoons at first. Because huh. at the time, 80s cartoons were all about selling, cart- uh, all about selling toys. toys. Yeah. It and was more like, here's a toy that came out and then let's make a show about it as like one 30 minute long advertisement yep. to make you buy the toy. <laughs> and that's not at all what Vanessa Coffey was wanting to do. Cause she was, thank in, God she was in that area for a very long time. She worked at Marvel. She worked on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and she hated it because all mm-hmm. they were focusing was selling toys and she didn't want to do that. She wanted to I'm be a character and, and, and tell a good story. Uh, at the time, c- cartoons were seven minutes long. Because uh, Looney Tunes is about seven minutes long, and she mm-hmm. wanted to flesh out story, so it was her idea to stretch them out to eleven minutes, so that way the writers mm. had to make a story. And now everybody's doing that, right? That's the she set the industry standard. But uh, when they finally, when Nickelodeon finally gave the go ahead and go find creators to who, who already have characters, Nickelodeon had eight pilots that were pitched to them and mm-hmm. yes of course we know doug ren and stippy and uh or three of them so there's Rugrats. five others that uh we're still unaware of until you shine some light on it for us uh okay so one thing backing up just a touch scott webb he was the one who did the animations for um the looney tunes advertisements he mm-hmm. also helped co-create inside out boy Ah. They also made Boogerman. Ah, I remember the Sega Genesis video game of that character. But that, what they were going to do, it was all claymation. It was inside the nose. And it was so, so gross for for Nickelodeon that they never aired it. Are are they sure that was so gross? I mean, they they greenlit Ren and Stimpy after all. (laughs) I know, that's, that's what I was thinking too. Going along with what you were talking about with the the animator, it was Joey Album, I believe is his okay. name. Joey Album is the one who did like the doo-wop dinosaurs. Yeah, that, the dinosaur 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 okay. interstitials. Well, uh, keep keep an ear out for that, listeners, because I'm pretty sure we're going to be doing an episode on his work um, later on. He had a pilot that was pitched also, cool. and he was one of the four finalists. But he did a show called Thunder Lizards, and it was... <laughs> Not to be confused with Thundercats. Yes, <laughs> but it was meant to continue with the characters that he made in all the interstitials. <clears throat> and it was them having a band and doing doo-wop. 
but okay. that one kids didn't grasp onto. the The adults liked it, but the kids looked at it yeah. and went, "That's that's my mom and dad's music." I, the, and they didn't really right? catch on. What's doo wop? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other one, I don't have all of them, but there was another that's one fine. going along the same vein as Thunder Lizards. Uh, George Evelyn, he was the one who created the bumper where you had all the animals who were in a row walking down, uh, doing the... Oh, yeah, the, the ones that are like in the TV walking down the road. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, that one. Cool. I like that one as well. So it was going to be those same characters, but this was called Big Beast Quintet. Really trying to sell that uh, singing aspect, yeah, huh? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much doing the same thing that the other was doing. And that, that didn't take. Do they really need to sing? Like, I like the look <laughs> of the characters. What if you just call it TV Monster Pals and just have them go on different TV channel adventures? I mean, I'd watch that. Another one that was pitched was from Norton Ver- Virgin. Virgin? Virgin? Virgin. Uh, he was one of the directors for some of the episodes of Rugrats. And he and the co-creator of the pilot that they made also went on to create Courage the Cowardly Dog. Killer. I love that show. And there's no context. It doesn't give me any what the show was about. But the show was called The Weasel Patrol. And all of this, by the way, that I'm I'm sharing on, you can find it on Decider.com. Uh, Matthew Klickstein, who did Slimed, the book, he has, he had so much content left over from that that there was a whole section about the creation <clears throat> and the continuation of Nicktoons that he didn't get to put in the book. So he put it as kind of bonus material online. Oh, sweet. So all this stuff is, is straight from the creator's mouths that I was just sharing with you. But I thought those were really cool because you, you never hear about the other pilots that were pitched out. Uh, yeah. Even on the Happy Happy Joy Joy documentary, Vanessa had said there were eight that were pitched. But, of course, the, that special was... They didn't really show them. Yeah, and, and again, that one was all about Ren and Stimpy. On to the main three. What, the what Holy a, Trinity. Why don't you <laughs> take it over? i got to take me a drink, my... my um, <laughs> yes, my voice is starting. You're to getting turn. raspier by the minute. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's uh, there's Nicktoons that we we first got to see back in 1991. Doug Rugrats, Ren Stimpy, and they all had three pretty distinct personalities from each other. Like Doug was this kind of humble kid with a big imagination that allowed him to like go on adventures in his mind and also kind of deal with the anxieties of growing up through adolescence and like dealing with crushes as you know with patty mayonnaise and also with bullying and just doing stuff with his best friend so it's kind of like a slice of life show um but from the perspective of a kid who just had a really big imagination and also um you know wrote about his adventures in his journal every every uh, episode in fact here's <laughs> here's a clip of um how doug starts his episodes Dear Journal, today Bluffington School declared war, and the Commander-in-Chief's first order was to punish the school traitor, me. So yeah, um, you know, Doug Doug lasted about four seasons on Nickelodeon, uh, I believe until around 1994, 1995. 94. 94, yes. And, um, you know, Disney ended up picking up the rights to that, um, and then continued it as, like, Doug's or brand spanking new Doug, and that lasted for about two more seasons before it was canceled uh, around the time where Doug's first movie, or Doug's big movie, was uh, yeah, for, premiering. Yeah, first movie, Doug's first yeah. movie. Yeah, and unfortunately, a lot of... There, there was a big like divide created in the fan base once that, that transition happened because a lot of people really liked the feel of Nickelodeon Doug, and didn't like go on to continue to Disney's Doug because yep. they changed a lot of stuff. Uh, I remember firsthand when I was like going over to Disney's Doug for the first time. Um, I was a little bit taken aback by just how many changes they were barraging longtime viewers with. Like for example, um, they changed like Bluffington High School into BB Bluff High School. Yep. You know, Connie got an entire new character design change because she lost weight. Roger became filthy sinking rich 
for some reason. Um, Skunky Beaumont was like an actual character instead of just this mythical character only talked about in stories. <laughs> so, you know, it, among many other changes, like I'm pretty sure Billy West didn't continue on as the voice actor of no, Doug as well. he didn't. Which, you know, it, it's unfortunate because Doug definitely sounds off, even though they tried their best with Disney's Doug. Um, but I think it was for the best too to just maintain the integrity of the the first run of the show on on Nickelodeon. Um, at least that's my take. Nancy Cartwright, who was in Rugrats, the the question was presented if the voice actors watched the other Nicktoons while they were on on the air because they were done by three different studios, but they were right. also kind of competing with each other. And she said mm-hmm. that she did not like Doug. She, she couldn't get it behind it because it just felt boring to her. Oh, that breaks my heart because I enjoy Doug. He's, he's very wholesome and humble, and I like his imaginative uh, nature. But I guess I can understand that if you're, like, used to it. <laughs> and I, I know you and I share very much the same passion for the character of Doug because outside of me being right-handed... Because uh, Doug is left-handed. I'm left-handed. <laughs> yeah. uh, you and I are very much in the same boat with how we feel about Doug. Uh, that it, yeah. We really resonated a lot with that. But I do see, uh, especially in various uh, Nickelodeon fan groups, where they there is kind of a divide there, too. Uh, because there's a lot of people hmm. who, who love the innocence of Doug. Yeah, like me. I'm in that camp. But there's a lot of people who also feel very much like Nancy did. It's boring. Do something. But it's also I mean, if, the most relatable of all of them, really. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 really a matter of what you, you're looking for when you tune into these Nicktoons. Yep. Because, as we said before, each offer, offer like a different style or persona to them. So it's like... You know, this is for more of the like the the down to earth middle class white American person who just wants to like see another perspective on life in animated form. And then you got Rugrats, which is like from a baby's perspective with a little bit of distortion or you know warped rea- sense of reality. Because when you're a baby, you're just trying to figure things out. You don't know everything, yep. and some things may appear scarier than they really are, which was part of the appeal. So it's like an in-between of intensity between Doug and Ren and Stimpy, which is probably why they aired it in that specific order. They kind of had a hint of like, okay, for the for the people who are really extreme, you're just going to have to wait a little bit longer until Ren and Stimpy, but once you get there, oh man, it's going to take you on a wild ride, and it sure did. If you've not read the book Slimed, <laughs> read read that. It's, it's very, very interesting, because I was reading about the Nicktoons, and... Arlene Klasky, I hope I pronounced that correctly, who yeah, was yeah, one right. of the one of the duo of the studio that animated. She hated the character Angelica, and and I don't mean hated her <laughs> in the context as we the audience where we love to hate her. Mm. She hated having a bully, an antagonist. Period. In the show, it's a show about. Yeah, she thought she was too cruel for, you know when interacting with the baby she had this mindset of their babies why can't they just be cute babies we don't need an antagonist and so many times some of the other storytellers were like if you don't have an antagonist you have no story and they they went back and forth on that a lot which angelica you you can't have rugrats without angelica You, you just can't no love her or hate her she's a she's a core part of the experience I was going to say, is there anything else we want to talk about more with Doug in terms of its history or maybe favorite episodes that resonated with us? Or, oh, gosh. You know, any characters that you really like and why? Uh, Doug, outside of the character of Doug himself, because he was the one that I related to the most. Right. But, you know, that that's kind of understandable because he didn't have much of a personality, so we could project ourselves into that character. But, but Skeeter, yeah. uh, I, I loved Skeeter. <laughs> Hey, Doug. <laughs> no way I can do that right now. <laughs> That's why I did it for you. Thank you. <laughs> Teamwork. How about you? Character. Um, I like Doug, too, for similar reasons you can project on him. And I was also left-handed and really into, you know, drawing comics and cartoon strips growing up. So it's not like I had to venture too far into the Bluffington citizens to um, latch on to somebody. I really like Roger Klotz, too. He has a very dynamic oh. character design. 
you know, I, I always joke that he kind of looks like Macklemore because of the similar yeah. hairdo and the, the yeah. leather jacket. And I think there's something on the internet going around as like a, a lookalike meme or whatever. But um, I really like how Roger counteracts uh, Doug because, you know, Doug's just kind of soft and humble and even his design is very rounded. And then Roger's just like this kid with gangrene with a really pointy nose that could poke your eye out. <laughs> Always looking to cause trouble specifically for Doug. Like, he doesn't pick on anyone else. He just exists to make Doug's life miserable. And I think there's a certain kind of enjoyment that comes out of that. Like, not even Angelica picks on uh, just Tommy or Chucky exclusively. She yeah. picks on any of any of the babies that are younger than her. Sometimes even butting heads with Susie, who's like the anti-Angelica in the show. Yep. Favorite episodes. Uh, the ones that stuck out to me the most, even as an adult, was the Lucky Hat Mm. Really like the theme song there. It just felt very um, whimsical. Yes. Um, I don't remember the name of the episode, but it was the one where he was going to be getting into a fight and then just did a staged fight through the school television studio. Oh, yeah. Yeah, That's that was that, against um, the AV kid who was pink. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, those two episodes, I think, stuck with me the most, uh, especially because I did have a couple of kids who, who tried to pick a fight with me when I was a kid. And that episode stuck in my mind of, you know, don't show me a man who resorts to violence. I'll show you a man who's run out of good ideas. Like, <laughs> that that really resonated with me because I as it was happening... Like yeah, yeah, okay. I think okay. Doug's dad said that, and it. Yeah. I, I think that's something that's worth touching upon real quick before I mention my favorites is because Jim Jenkins was very adamant about like putting morals and lessons into his episodes yeah. so that kids can kind of learn from the experience and not just be entertained mindlessly. Exactly. Um, in fact, there were many instances where he would cause you know like pushback scripts and have them be rewritten just so that they would have morals in every single episode. Um, and I think that's just part to do with his personality and his upbringing. Um, so, and there was a, a couple know. times the writers had come come to him and said, "I don't, I can't see Doug doing this." And then Jim had said, "I did that." I mean, he he <laughs> he is Doug. That, that's that, yeah. that's who he is. And very much how it, um, what's his face. Charles Schultz was pretty much a projection of Charlie Brown. Yep. Like every great cartoonist just pours a little bit of their soul into their own creations so that they can live um, through those kinds of experiences through a new prism. Yep. <laughs> and more or less, I do that too with my buddy character, but that's, that's another story another time. <laughs> All right. Well, last one for Doug Out, outside of the main theme. What is probably your favorite song off of Doug? Well, I have to mention my three favorite episodes first. Ah, or, yes, you yes. Know, notable ones. Um, I would say Doug is Hamburger Boy is like my top number one episode. Um, mainly because I really love the summer feel of it where like everyone is just out of the school setting. They're like at the lake um, having fun doing like friendly competition stuff with the canoes. Yes. Um, I also really like Dale's performance in that. I don't know why, but I find Dale very amusing as a side character, especially with his like, hey, donkey burger, donkey burger, hey. You know, that high-pitched um, Skeeter voice and just how he interplays off of Doug and causes him to like remain in the persona until he gets his pants back because he can't go walking around in his underwear. Yeah. He's not quail, man. <laughs> and uh, I think all of us can relate it to at least one embarrassment mo embarrassing moment in our life where you know we felt very vulnerable and we had to do something about it and think on our feet in order to get out of it alive without being publicly shamed um so that one always stuck out with me growing up and it's still a great episode for me to rewatch as well yes um i would go with doug's garage band as well where he like you know plays that banging on a trash can song yep. and he like gets that big david burns suit yep. from talking heads to go perform at like um jimmy spackle's birthday party concert thing i thought that was just so full of charisma and fun and accurately depicts like you know the good intentions of starting a band but realizing that if you end up people pleasing all your buddies then you're gonna have a really crappy band 
that doesn't really know how to coordinate with one another when it comes to playing songs. That's right. So lesson learned there. So yeah, uh, Doug's Garage Band. Doug is Hamburger Boy, and I like um, either Doug's Cartoon or Doug's Doodle. One of the two where like the focus is him drawing something, and yeah. then other characters react to it. Um, I can't can't really think of the Doug's cartoon plot unfortunately it's eluding me in this moment but doug's doodle is essentially when he draws a picture of mrs wingo uh during class and he's afraid that he'll like get detention or severe punishment yep. for it because it wasn't exactly a flattering picture but it was still amusing nonetheless and um i think he accidentally hands it in with his like homework assignment yes. and he has to he has to somehow like sneak into the homework pile on the teacher's desk to get it out before she notices yep. and I, I won't spoil anything for anyone who hasn't seen the episode, but it has a much more lighthearted ending than you'd expect. Luckily, Doug doesn't get like sentenced to writing his name on the chalkboard 5,000 times. And most episodes um, of Doug do, do <laughs> end that way, uh, with, with a very lighthearted... They, they take some pretty serious... Yeah, like topics. a positive twist. Yeah. Even the Christmas episode. Oh, God. Yeah. No, we're gonna, that's like its own episode. <laughs> There's plenty to talk about there. Um... <laughs> So, yeah, maybe we'll do a Splat Attack holiday special when we get to it. But for now, um, you know, that's pretty much our take on Doug. And then I'm sure you, you just mentioned before, uh, like, something pertaining to how we connect with the music of Doug. Because that's certainly a big part as well. Yeah. Everybody knows the bacon on a trash can or killer tofu. Right. Those two <laughs> songs, though, are not my favorite songs. Interesting. Uh, mine. Do you have a reason why? No, no. Just I had another one I liked more than those two. Uh, okay. I, I do very much enjoy them, but I, I really love "Shout Your Lungs Out." Ooh, that's a fun and, one. Very high energy. And I, that I, I think that's I think that's why I because I, now as an adult I'm I'm a, I'm a huge rock and roll fan, but I didn't even Heck really yeah. know about it as a kid, and that one really felt the most rock and roll, and it yeah. was. It was starting at that age, and I didn't know it. It's like the it's like the perfect song to listen to while you're speeding down the highway. Yes, you gotta roll your windows down. You gotta rock your socks. You gotta roll your soul. That's the vocal cords. You gotta lose control. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had a little moment there, but you know. Doug's songs are very catchy. <laughs> just, just picturing the 35-year-old driving down the highway. And... Literally shouting that line outside your window with your head poking out. And like other people in traffic are like, what are what? you doing? <laughs> so you're going with uh, Shout Your Lungs Out for your favorite Doug song. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Uh, my pick would be Banging on the Trash Can yes. just because... That whole music video imagination fantasy sequence where he's like ripping off Michael Jackson's black and white and then, you know, mixed in with the whole think big theme of like yes. Doug and Skeer just getting bigger with the big suits and then BB's wearing a suit and she's like trying to counteract <laughs> with them. It's just so fun and wacky and playful. Like, I wish they did more music videos for Doug because there's just so many great songs. And then, of course, there's the the doggy rap one yes. where it's like, I'm a dog, you're a dog, everybody do the dog. Bet you're going to do the dog all day long. Doberman Pinscher, Pico Pekingese, Corky Coley Bulldog, Great Pyrenees. Yeah, moving right on to Rugrats. Um, that that show of the three Nicktoons surprisingly lasts the longest. Oh, yes. Uh, I, I believe it lasted until like around 2004, yep. 2006 Four. when it got us... 2004. When it got the spinoff, All Grown Ups are kind of spiritually was successed in in the All Grown Up miniseries, but I don't think that lasted too long, right? Uh, maybe a season or two. I don't I don't remember. Yeah, I think it was about two seasons because they had two distinct character designs for yeah. all the characters, um, and I remember that shift when I was like paying attention. You know, it's a decent show. I I just remember Stu from like the very first episode which i think had an actual tie into a rugrats episode where they imagined they were growing up around season nine of rugrats i just remember Stu like wanting to win this like disco medal or relive the glory days yes. of the 70s yes which i thought was quite entertaining uh, whether it's a rugrats episode or an all the grown-up episode so for anyone who's like a veteran fan of rugrats and just 
you know, really wants a good dose of nostalgia and relatability to um, <coughs> Stu and Dee Dee and what it's like to get older and also relate back to your glory days, I highly recommend checking those episodes out. I believe there's a Rugrats one and an All Grown Up one, and I'm pretty sure they're all they're both called like All Grown Up. Yeah, Rugrats. I I don't think there was a Nicktoon that came out in the '90s that, that I did not like, <clears throat> but those mm. initial three. They were, they were all gold. I loved every single one of them. Yeah. And... They they started off with a bang for sure. Like, I, I connected with Doug, but Rugrats really made me stop and think about different mm. perspectives. Because... Right? It, I, I, I totally got the jokes as, as a kid. At least most of the jokes. There were a couple that went over my head. But for the most mm-hmm. part... I understood that this is coming from the perspective of a child, of a, of a toddler, and they see things differently than us. And you know, the mm-hmm. ladies, ladies and gentlemen of the jerky, you mean the jury, the <laughs> jerky. And yeah, I love their use of malapropisms there, where it's like baby talk, and it's like, oh, that's so cute. You're using the wrong word, but you mean this word. Yes, <laughs> it, it, it was so fun. It was such a fun show, and you felt like you're one of the babies with yes. them. Yes. When you watched. And uh, I, I will never forget the one where they were pirates and they were about to walk the plank. The, the Sand Ho one yes. from season two, episode one. And, and then it just cuts to the parents and they're all in the sand pit out, the, out in the back. <laughs> just, just that, that, that yeah. cut. I, uh, that's the one thing that sticks out in my memory more than anything else. It right, because the babies imagine they're on like a pirate ship yes. and then this, the parents just see them as like on the sandbox with a plank of wood. Um, which illustrates the point of the show. You know, babies have wild imaginations until they can understand how reality works. And again, that's part of the fun for us to see because when we see imagination animated, it takes us to places we would never dream of until we see that through, you know, the creator's perspective. Um, And I believe, you know, I believe Rugrats was the first, I think it was the first cartoon that won some Emmy Awards. Yes. And its own yeah. and its own star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. It was also the first Nickelodeon show to get its uh, feature film. Yes, uh, with the Rugrats movie and Dill being born around that time. Uh, that was the third, I believe, Nickelodeon movie. But it was the first animated movie. Correct. Yeah, that's what I meant. Rugrats was fun. I remember like those openings of the episodes were what really hooked me in because they would show like some sort of abstract yes. image of something extreme close up, uh, and then they would yeah and then like zoom out to reveal oh it's just that like for example the one that always sticks out in my mind is like the volcano that's like smoldering and then when you zoom out it just shows like Susie's older sister trying to pop yes i know that's I know that's gross, but it illustrates the point. You you weren't expecting that. <laughs> uh, there there was one where they had zoomed in on Spike's tongue. Yeah, but it yeah. does not look like <laughs> a tongue at first. It looks like something else. Yes, it that's, does. Yeah. But as a I'm child, not, not my gonna... mind was so innocent. I was going, okay, what is this thing? It just looked like a pulsing heart to me, yeah. not you know what adults would think it is. <laughs> I think I think at one point my dad walked in on that episode with what are you watching? And then the camera pulled back and he went, Oh, okay. And he just left. I swear it's not Ren and Stimpy. In <laughs> Ren and Stimpy of all shows, my parents were okay with. Which really just amazes yeah. me. They they have a different type of close up, which are nicknamed quote unquote gross ups. Yes. But we'll talk about that when we get to them. Uh who was your favorite? Rugrats character. Oh, it's a it's a tie between Tommy and Chucky for me. I I equally identified with both of them because I do have like a like a bravery sense of bravery to myself when I feel like I'm doing the right thing and I like standing up for people. Um, and I also relate to Chucky because he's more like the intelligent, cautious one. Like I don't think that's such a good idea. I obviously can't voice Chucky because Christine Cavanaugh is a national treasure and she'll never be replaced. Yes. Um, but. I, I relate to his skittishness the way that I also relate to Tommy's bravery. So, you know, depending on the situation, I'd either ping pong between them uh, when I connected to those characters or just relate to them both if both were, like, tackling a situation together. Nice. Easily Tommy for me. Easily. Hands down. Any any particular reason why? I, I think it's just because it, it seems like the characters gravitated toward him as the unofficial leader. Yeah. And that usually happens to me a lot 
especially even as a kid, because you'd get group project at school, and then everybody would gravitate toward me for me to do most mm-hmm. of the work, and <laughs> uh, and for very much the same reasons. I would usually stand up for the underdog, or there there was uh, an instance in which a kid was picked on at school, and I and I would stand up for him. Tommy's moral compass was was very very strong. And I, yeah. I, I resonated you, with that a lot. You'd be surprised how much that drives one's sense of heroism, mm-hmm. you know, sense of morality. Um, and we got to see that demonstrated in many situations where Tommy had to protect either Chucky or all of the babies yep. from an incoming bully of the day, you know, that may not have been Angelica. I remember this one particular episode, I forget the name of it. Listeners, feel free to chime in uh, if you know it. But there's like this kid who's like, really big and round and he's like obnoxious oh yes he he like gaslights the kids into doing stuff for him in the park and he constantly uses the argument well fair is fair so do what i say and i'm like what a little beat (laughs) you know i i want to punch this kid in the face and grab his mother and tell him you can't do that you can't boss around kids let them be free why you got to be messing you know, messing around with them and hating on them just because they're trying to have some innocent fun. And see, the one that sticks out with me is the one where they're at the playground, but it's set like the Old West. Ah, yeah, Teeter Totter Gulch from season two. Yes. I love that one with uh, Prudence. Yes. Yeah, yeah. She's like looking for a fight, and she, for some reason, just has the urge to blow giant bubblicious bubblegum bubbles and you know stick them in people's hair, whoever gets within six feet of her, and ruins their life their early life and in, in just injecting too much childhood trauma and all these random kids who just want to play okay. like man that's harsh <laughs> okay so rugrats <laughs> it, it, it changed the way i played with he-man toys how so that's like so it, random. it is very random but my brother is eight years older than i am so he got mm. me introduced to a lot of 80s cartoons so he-man thundercats See. and things like that and mm-hmm. he had Castle Grayskull, he had a bunch of the action figures, and we had uh, Cringer. Uh, Cringer was green, but I mm-hmm. forgot the name of the, of, the, of the beast that Skeletor had, but it was purple. Mm. And High contrast colors there. And uh, whenever Rugrats had Reptar, ah. and then later had the purple Reptar... Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I would I was playing He-Man and then I was like, "Ooh, Reptars." And they completely changed the outlook of what I was doing. And pretty soon it it ended up being all the He-Man characters fighting the two Reptars. Aw. <laughs> that sounds really it's fun. A crossover. Um is Purple Reptar on the record for being like his evil twin, or is it just like a color variant that showed up? I don't remember. I honestly don't remember. It's been such a long. I remember. It's been such a long time since I I've remember, watched the later seasons. Right. Well, it's not necessarily later seasons. Around two or three, because I remember this oh, one okay. episode where like Phil and Lil each have their different colored reptar, and Angelica manipulated them into like giving them both mm. of their reptars to her. So I, I just wonder where that came about. But for all I know, it's just like a simple color palette to it may have been. keep things mildly interesting. I um, just associated purple with evil because of Skeletor's panther. Right? Yeah. Uh, so, Rugrats. Um, did we technically talk about favorite episodes there? Uh, we, we, memorable episodes? We touched on just a couple, but I don't think we really said our favorite. Maybe like two or three. The, the ones that stick out the most is, uh, one, obviously, the, uh, the pirate one because that that one gag yep. gets it more so than the others so great uh the the trial episode where the lamp was broken yeah uh, that one i always really liked as a kid it was but it was my first courtroom drama and mm. um oh gosh uh the the one where they thought Stu was a robot real robots yes. yeah those those earlier season episodes really have like a raw edgy creepiness to they them do. like i remember being scared of that one watching it in my my dark living room just before snick came on um and thinking oh shoot should i <laughs> should i go check to see if my dad is a robot should i like get a wrench and twist his nipples <laughs> <laughs> Uh, th- thankfully, I never went through that, but man, that 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 would be like taking a purple nurple to the extreme. That, that yelp he gives in that episode—it's so classic. Ah! Yeah, so I know. Good. It's like the 
it's as classic as the Wilhelm scream you hear in various yes. cartoons. Yeah, those are all great episodes, and I, I love watching them as well. For me, you know, just off the top of my head, obviously there's dozens of others because I love Rugrats, and I used to bond with my younger sister watching that growing up. Obviously, Angelica breaks a leg. Yes. You know, Stu, why are you making chocolate pudding at 4 a.m.? <laughs> because I lost control of my life. Yeah. Yeah, Probably the that's, most that's popular one of those episodes. Yeah, yeah. But with good reason, yes. because, you know, it's it's fun, it's a little sadistic, and as an adult, you relate to Stu's loss of control, especially during COVID. <laughs> uh, and in fact, you know, on a whim, I made art of that where he's literally drowning in chocolate pudding, and that was like one of most my most popular pieces of art to date. So it's like taking that idea and just pushing it to the extreme where Stu's experiencing, like, pudding psychosis. Oh, no. Is it, <laughs> is it Randy and Mandy's fault? Uh, not quite. <laughs> I mean, I could always make a piece of art, you know, showing them in a chocolate jacuzzi losing their minds. Um, so, yeah, there's that one. Um, Kid TV I really love, yes. you know, where they get the, the box and they pretend it's a giant TV yeah. and they all have their own little shows in it. That like that was just one of the few episodes outside of Doug that really stirred my imagination and literally made me want to do the same thing the babies did with my sister, where we would take like a cardboard box, cut a hole out, and you know just pretend we were on TV like the big people do, and it was a ton of fun. And I kind of wish kids these days would use their imaginations more as a result because you don't really see that anymore. No. <laughs> Those two, and then I'd say for like a scarier episode, um, what the big people do, which. Oh, it's like, yeah. are you afraid of, are you afraid of the dark levels are scary for me let's be honest here <laughs> we're, we're talking like you know not only do chucky and uh i almost said Stu, chucky and tommy have their heads placed on top of Stu and chaz's bodies but they have to go like push papers in this like dank dark void where Angelica is like their cruel boss with like her pigtails as devil horns. And she has fire and brimstone behind her as she's barking orders. him. like, who the hell thinks of that for a kid to watch? Like, it makes me not want to get a job when I'm grown up. The, uh, among other things, the, the writers for the show, the person who made the final approval of, okay, these episodes are okay. Apparently this person got on their nerves on more than one occasion because they were constantly, no, you can't, you can't do that. You can't put this in a kid's show. So yeah. they started <laughs> writing things just to get a rise out of this person. And Oh, yeah, it, it definitely feels like a catharsis kind of episode along with the chocolate pudding one where there's just like, man, I'm so fed up with all this stuff we have to deal with as writers. I'm, I might as well just channel my frustration in, in this episode and... You know, but there were, get it out there. There was one that they, they had the episode written, the, the the actual one, but they wrote another one that they turned in, and uh, it was uh, Tommy hears noise coming from mom and dad's bedroom. Oh my! And they really they really went there. They, they huh? really went there, <laughs> and as he walked in, you know, there was there was a lot of bouncing. You know, through the silo, through the silhouette that you'd see the shadow on the wall bouncing, and then she oh lost her mind. You can't show this to. Why would you? you're disgusting? And I said, I'm just kidding. Here's the actual one, and they turned in the real one. Jeez, you're giving me PTSD as you're talking about it. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> uh, you don't understand, kids. They're just on a indoor moon bounce. <laughs> they yeah, got moon that's shoes. It. That's the ticket. Moon shoes. Yeah. Right. Moon shoes are so awesome, but they're very impractical to actually walk around in. So, <laughs> right? Moving along with the twisted and insane. Mm. <laughs> you, you, you got yourself a cat and dog duo who uh, who bleed insanity every episode. Well, it's more like insanity mixed with stupidity, but it, man, is it a firecracker of a combo. Oh, man. We're talking about Ren and Stimpy here, created by the infamous John Kay. And um, what... How that initially began was it was one of those eight pitches, as Alex mentioned yep. before, that uh, Vanessa Coffey looked at. Originally, it was part of uh, this like concept called Our Gang, yep. where it was like a variety cartoon show that was hosted by this live action guy, and he would like ho show like different genres of cartoons as like a, you know, different segments for the show. And you know, she looked over all the different cartoons. They're just kind of your standard boy and girl characters. And then she saw like these drawings of 
these animals. There was uh, a chihuahua in a sweater and a cat who had like a really big bulbous nose sitting on a, a kitty litter. And for some reason, the way they were drawn just really appealed to her. So she, she said, you know... What's their story? I, I, yeah, what's their story? What's more here? Can we explore this? They, they ended up making a pilot for it called Big House Blues, which later aired as part of season one of Grand Snippy, um, depicting <laughs> how Ren and Stimpy first met on the streets and then were later taken to a pound together and found a way to get out before they experienced, quote-unquote, the big sleep. Um, Sorry. <laughs> why are you laughing? <laughs> I love that episode. <laughs> dead! That bitch are going to be dead! Yeah, yeah. Really drove that point home. Dead, you idiot! Uh-uh. So... <laughs> showed that yeah, I mean, a- after they showed that pilot, you know, they ordered six episodes from Spumco, which was John Kay's yes. uh, animation company, and it actually included a couple of people who worked on some of the other Nicktoons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, such as Billy West for, like, voice talent, and I believe Cheryl Chase was there as well. I, there, there's, a, there's some mixture yes. there, um, regardless. And... I just think that that show being the counterculture for 80s animation that was poorly done just to make toys was such a big hit because of that stark contrast in mainstream culture. You know, these days we have, you know, SpongeBob's and Rick, Rick and Morty and everything in between and nothing's really shocking anymore because everyone's doing it. But back then, almost nobody was. And that really helped it stand out as like, this real lightning in a bottle, you know, golden opportunity moment that they just capitalized because it fell together in all the right places. So, you know, once the pilot got picked up, they ordered six episodes for season one, did their best to hold the production together, even though it was very laborious, despite using a few shorthand techniques like looping animation and abstract backgrounds, you know, like the ones you see where it's just like paint splatters whenever... Ren would get upset or like there was a particular music note that was served served as an accent beat of the plot and you know it it was a very manic hectic work environment that ultimately lent to the show's charm when it was produced people ate it up young and old you know parents hated it because it was like rude crude lewd and everything under the sun that was offensive yet at the same time you just couldn't look away from it because it was unreal it, it literally paved the way for hundreds, if not thousands, of shows that exist today yes. using those elements to get people's attention. So the the interesting, uh, there are many interesting things about Ren and Stimpy. That there really is, but it was the show that, as you said, parents did not want their kids to watch, but adults who did not have kids, once <laughs> once they got wind of this show, they loved it. It was really the first show that both kids and adults, not necessarily child and parents, really, really loved. And like you said, the cartoons were made super cheap at the time, and John Kay is notorious for perfection. And yeah. if, if To a fault, definitely. Definitely to a fault. Uh, so much so that he would not allow any animation to be done again. Because uh, you can, you see it a lot in the '80s where they had just the the, the same animation cells used over and over. Yeah. And he he didn't want that. Uh, he wanted an absolute beautiful piece of artwork and not be done again. And that there are many many reasons that led to John Kay no longer being a part of Ren and Stimpy throughout the remaining run on Nickelodeon. That there there's a whole huge story which we. Yeah, won't I, even go into. Yeah, I would just say if you want to learn more about the backstory behind Ren and Stimpy, go watch the Happy Happy Joy Joy documentary yes. that's available online. Um, it's worth it. It's it's fun, but also very tragic yes. to how how the history of Ren and Stimpy devolves because you want it to be better, but unfortunately, it just isn't. When you watch it, you just have to keep in mind in the back of your head, you know, separate the art from the artist. Yes. Don't let your perspective of the artist and what went down after the show was a big hit ruin your enjoyment of the show when it first came out because really that that aspect of his life had nothing to do with Ren and Stimpy at the time. Yeah. You know, all the elements were together to make it work at that time from 1991 to roughly 1995 or 6 when it got canceled after five seasons. Yeah. So just, you know, 
Take it as yeah, and, and that's something I think a lot of people, especially nowadays, have a very difficult time to do for Ren and Stimpy, because Ren and Stimpy is fantastic. The first two seasons, mm-hmm. especially when John Kay was directly involved, they are a masterpiece of of animation, and oh, yeah. they are they're hilarious, they're they're irreverent and disgusting, but that was the point, you know. And it was really Vanessa who emphasized, I put more heart into it. And right. and, he, and that really helped balance the mania yes. that he naturally brought to the table, you know, along with some input from other animators who were involved with it too. Like Bob Camp was pretty much his right-hand yep. man and partner when working on the show. So when time came to fire John Kay for failing to meet production deadlines, but still keep the show going because of its popularity... Naturally, Bob Camp was the the person to take over the reins and continue yep. it. And, you know, just putting that out there, I don't think um, his run, you know, season three to five is necessarily bad. No. It's just not like that kind of manic charisma that the first two seasons had. And, in fact, I, I have a couple of favorite episodes from around season three and four. Yep. So it's just a matter of how how off the rails you like your run instead because they definitely have – different tones to them and even different art styles to a somewhat of a degree but they're close enough where they still feel like a unified body of work. And we would definitely not have any of the other Nicktoons had it not been for the success of Ren and Stimpy because at the time yeah. Rugrats was not huge. It, n- no. Not by a... That was definitely a slow burn at Nickelodeon it where it gained enough traction by just continuing the series while Klasky Supo were doing other animated projects at the yep. time um and it pretty much was the like forerunner for having the most episodes produced until a certain yellow sponge came along yep. and kicked kicked tommy chucky and angelica off their throne <laughs> you you would have no spongebob you'd have no rocco there was even in the i think it was the last season <laughs> they did a cat dog before cat dog was a thing how so there was an episode the very very beginning of the episode the two of them were in the highway and Ren was getting fed up with Stimpy as he always does and they got into an argument on the highway and they both got run over. Oh, I remember this and I think there's like some sort of surgery yep. where they have to be sewn together yep. and they have to like act together like yep. that. They, they, they yeah, were cat dog bizarre. before cat dog was a thing. And the a, a lot of the gags that are, Ren, are that are in Ren and Stimpy, a lot of the other Nicktoons used. Uh, whether they meant to or not. I mean, the, the, the time lapse that SpongeBob used all the time. A few hours later, right. Ren Stippy <laughs> did that. Uh, from hmm. season one, I believe. SpongeBob lifted gross-ups from Ren and Stimpy, yeah. and that's part of its staying power now because it's just like those little moments of shock that really keep your attention invested while you're just kind of going through the plot. Ren Stippy put that on the map. There was... There was somebody who, when going through the history of Nickelodeon, just as a whole, and they were getting to, you can't do that on television, and how important it was to Nickelodeon, they had remarked, important does not always mean good. And and that was in the context mm. of, you can't do that on television. I have seen a couple of other reviewers via YouTube make the same remark when it concerns Ren and Stimpy, but I believe that they also are in the same boat of they cannot separate artist from the artwork. And and that's a real shame because the first three first two seasons of Ren and Stimpy are are amazing, which of course I said that already. Uh, but it is you would not have yeah. the other shows if it was not for Ren and Stimpy. I, I'm I'm with you there too in terms of its importance. Like even if it's you know History is unfortunate. Um, I don't think that's just cause yeah. to whitewash what it accomplished. I agree. And I'm just going to keep it So that. moving on, favorite character? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm more of a Stimpy fan than a Ren fan, but I relate to both in either way. I just love Stimpy's like cute, aloof innocence. Um, I unfortunately relate to Ren's yes. stress and anxiety sometimes. I think we're all human. We can understand that there's more emotions other than happiness that we experience and go through. And, you know, sometimes watching Ren is cathartic in that sense where, you know, he's 
taking out his rage and you understand why. Um, But I would say the, like, side characters or, like, alternate personas of Ren and Stimpy, um, there's no one that really stands out to me too much. I I like them when (laughs) they go in space. That's always fun. And I like them when they do fire dogs because they have that, like, catchy fire dog song that goes along with them and i like the salesman a lot too from like the episodes to salve and salve not in the house of next tuesday where he's like this quintessential 1950s salesman that won't take no for an answer and is totally getting up in their faces until you buy his product even if it is totally dysfunctional as we see in those episodes um so yeah (laughs) i just go those guys for those reasons it's it's just so my favorite uh, two i have two favorites one, one of the main guests, one of the supporting, but Ren, mm-hmm. definitely Ren. Uh, as as a kid, mm-hmm. it's so weird. I had a terrible, terrible temper as a kid, uh, which thankfully, through anchor management in elementary school, of all places, I was able to, to work through that. <laughs> but... Uh, but Ren, I was going, yeah, I, I get that. I feel, I feel you, man. I feel you. You know, that, that rickety, angry old man in the trailer. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you get him, Ren. Yeah, there's, there's a few situations where I'm like insanely laughing in my head like Ren whenever (laughs) I just feel the need to let out some frustration. But the, the other supporting character, (laughs) I was going to say it as a joke, Log. (laughs) Secret agent Log. What kind of Log? (laughs) There's so many. Ooh, good, now, Brett good knows, <laughs> but for those of you who don't know, I'm a huge James Bond fan. So, when they had Secret Agent Log, yes. I lost it. I thought it was hilarious. I'm actually surprised you didn't mention Smash Adams. Yes. This is one of Doug's yes. alter egos when we talked about Doug. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It got me a, got me a Smash Adams <laughs> costume. But, uh, no, uh, supporting character, easily Powder Toast Man. Mm, yeah, good one. Yeah, I, he didn't have no, too many episodes. No. He, I think he was in there a handful of times. He just had, yeah, he had some cameos here and there as like some commercial, fake yeah. commercial bumpers, and he had his own episode, and then versus Waffle Woman, and I it think is. that's about it. If I, uh, I have, <laughs> I have a wallet, and I love it. My my old wallet had officially bit the dust; it was coming apart. So it's time to go look for a new wallet, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, was was looking for some Nickelodeon, found a Ren and Stimpy wallet, and it makes me laugh because for men, where do we usually keep our wallets? In our back pocket. It's a picture of Powder Toast Man with mm-hmm. Ren and Stimpy on his back with the caption, cling tenaciously to my buttocks. It's like, it's, it's perfect. It's exactly where the <laughs> I wallet goes. I love that quote from his episode. And I bought it, and I showed it to my wife, and she went, you're yep. kidding. And said, "Nope, my seven year my seven year old thought it was hilarious. But and it's true. I will hear him <laughs> say the same thing when he, Daddy, can I keep your wallet, your old one? Sure. And now he puts it in his back pocket, cling tenaciously to my buttocks. So for anybody who's <laughs> listening and uh, has yeah. never checked um, out Doug Renstippy or uh, Rugrats, they're all fantastic." Uh, Earlier seasons are usually the best ones. Uh, Doug, I think the entire run of Doug was was all awesome and, uh, until it switched to Disney. Uh, Rugrats. Oh yeah, it's solid. I think the first three yeah were the best. Yeah, I'm with you there. There's like a small handful from season four that are you know still good too, like the Mother's Day episode yes. um, and Ghost Story with the Arrow Monsters crossover. But aside from that, yeah, the first three seasons are dynamite. <laughs> then it tapers off from there, especially when they add more characters. But again, yeah. to eat your own if you're like one of those late 90s kids or early 2000s kids who grew up with the other parts of Rugrats, you know, to each their own. And and Ren and Stimpy, the first two seasons are probably the, the best, but the later seasons are not to be discounted. Uh, if any of you don't know the difference, there is the Lost Episodes DVD. Hmm. Uh, avoid like the plague. Yeah, adult party cartoon has nothing to do with the first five seasons of Ren and Stimpy, and no, for good reason because uh, that's it. It, yeah. it is raw, unfiltered John K. Yeah. with no one to keep him grounded. And yeah, it's not funny. It's just gross. Yeah, yeah. So don't, 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 just don't. 
Yeah. Ren Stimpy is, is best with uh, Insanity mixed with Heart. We'll, we'll keep it at that. Yeah. So I I think that wraps up our um, our quick little retrospective of you know Ren and Stimpy, Doug and Rugrats. Uh, happy 30th anniversary to all of them. We're so happy that you know they're still in our hearts and minds even to this day, and how they impacted a lot of 90s kids for the better. Um, you know, whether it shaped our sense of storytelling or humor or even, you know, even art style, if you're into animation and pursuing that, it's, it's hard to ignore the cultural impact as well as the personal impact that these three lovely original animated shows has left on us. Absolutely. All right, Mr. Brett, where can people follow you on the social medias? Yes. So aside from this flat attack podcast, which we'll both be promoting on our Instagram pages until it gets its own page, channel, whatever, um, you can follow me at Brett Wilson Art on Instagram or go to my website, brettwilsonart.com, to check out all the cool 90s nostalgia artwork that I make. And for Alex, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me three places. I am also on Instagram, True90sNickelodeon. You can also find me on Twitter, True90sNickFan. Uh, I ran out of characters. And <laughs> on you can also find a closed group on Facebook, True90sNickelodeon, where you can join in the conversation and, and post your 90s Nickelodeon comments and pictures and things as well. Very cool. And um, so, yeah, that's our first episode. Hope you guys like it. And be sure to rate and subscribe on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, really anywhere else you listen to podcasts, just so we know that people are out there and listening and they want us to do things. Um, You know, we're excited to see where this goes. And if you have any feedback for us or listener topics that you'd like to suggest, you can, you know, contact us through our avenues that we mentioned and we'll we'll see if we can... uh, make them happen on a future episode so uh, how are we going to sign off here i don't have any catchy uh catchphrases <laughs> well then how about just till next time slimesters all right see you later guys reprise the theme song and roll the credits hard to believe folks but it's time to say goodbye nighty night Check us out next time for more adventure and another great legend of the Hidden Temple. What do we do till then? Chill for a couple. We'll be back. You're on, Nick. And it was time for the superhero to move on. I declare this meeting of the Midnight Society closed. Bye-bye.